Yes, we're continuing to work our way through Peter's first letter, 1 Peter. Uh, we're up to chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 12. We usually give the page number. I'm using a different Bible. Does anyone want to call it? 859. Excellent. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Amen. Uh, let's bow in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for drawing us together today around your word. Father, we pray for our children as they're taught about the Lord Jesus, that uh, they would be growing in their love, their trust, and their obedience to you. We pray for ourselves as we uh, consider your word this morning, that uh, uh, it would be changing our minds and changing our hearts, that we would be more like your son Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. One of my first rejections as a Christian came in 1979. A couple of months earlier, someone had shared the gospel with me. I had, by God's grace, believed the gospel, uh, trusted in Jesus, I had become a Christian. And I remember on one occasion that I was with some friends one day when I mentioned that I had been to a Bible study. Uh, one of my friends, I, I guess it was the look on her face and it was the tone of her voice as she stood up and said, well, that's it. I'm leaving. I'm out of here and stormed off in anger. And I thought to myself, what did I just say to deserve that? It seemed so unexpected. Around that time, I had a, a number of experiences like that, and I guess that was because uh, m the vast majority of my friends were, were non-Christians, and most of them didn't care two hoots whether I'd become a Christian or not. That wasn't a matter of any relevance to them, they thought. But I soon realised there were some friendships that were conditional. They were conditional upon me not being a Christian. They were conditional upon me joining in with the things which um, uh, previously I would have thought was just normal behaviour. And I was genuinely surprised by this because becoming a Christian had been really good. Um, learning about God, learning about forgiveness, uh, experiencing, tasting that, uh, knowing that 
I now had eternal life. And knowing where I fitted in with the world and that um, life now had a, a purpose and a meaning uh, to live for the very one who had created me, I thought that was just pretty good stuff. There was nothing bad in it whatsoever. And yet I found myself being treated differently. I hadn't even shared the gospel with my friends. So I just identified as being a Christian and it evoked that kind of reaction. And I guess that the longer that we live as Christians in Australia, the more we are not surprised by that uh, because that's the kind of um, adverse reaction that we tend to get. We don't, we don't, for being Christian in Australia, we don't lose our uh, liberty, we don't lose our lives, we just tend to lose a few friends. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, you might want to have this open in front of you, the Christians who received Peter's letter were, they were likely to be surprised by the adverse reaction that they were experiencing. Have a look at what Peter says in verse 12. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Now, we can understand why they might have been surprised because, after all, they'd just been living their regular lives as, um, as ordinary, everyday pagans, just doing the things that other people do. Uh, they had heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, and their lives had been changed for good. They hadn't done anybody any harm, and yet now, um, Peter says that they are, they're going through a painful trial as a result of being a Christian. Now, Peter doesn't fill in the details as to what this painful trial is, but there are a few clues. Uh, one of the clues is that the, uh, the, the Greek word, which the NIV translates as, as painful trial, uh, more literally uh, is translated as, as simply the word fiery, um, implying a fiery trial. Now, that gives you a bit of an idea, doesn't it, that there's a... There's an intensity when something's a fiery experience. There is an intensity to it. One of the uh, problems I think we have in reading our New Testaments is that we, we read about the, um, the suffering that early Christians uh, underwent and we can gloss over that. We, we don't actually dwell on it and, and really feel the gravity of it. But we get a bit more of an idea from the Apostle Paul because Paul had some reasons for actually outlining some of the sufferings that he went through, uh, usually to counteract the teaching that um, if you become a Christian, then life is going to be just um, you know, one great party, um, the whole prosperity gospel kind of thing in modern day terms. Um, but the, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11... Uh, we hear from uh, Paul that he was whipped, that he was, uh, he was scourged. Um, 40 lashes minus one, so 39 lashes. And that happened to him on five occasions. Now, that's pretty dreadful stuff, isn't it? When you, when you think about it, that's, that's awful. Uh, three times, says Paul, he was stoned. People tried to kill him by getting him down on the ground and throwing rocks on his body and his head uh, three times. 
a lot of other stuff as well, but he was um, thrown, he was in and out of prison. He was in prison because of his faith. Now, that gives you just a, a, bit of a, a bit of an idea about the kind of suffering, the kind of persecution that Christians underwent in the first century. And uh, we don't know the details of the suffering, the fiery trial that these Christians to whom Peter is writing to, but we can, we can guess, can't we? That gives you a bit of a picture. But don't be surprised, says Peter. Uh, don't be surprised by that, as if something strange were happening to, to you. It's something which is to be expected. Instead, what does he say in verse 13? Instead, instead of being surprised, in verse 13, they are to rejoice. They are to rejoice in this. Because it's not strange. And in fact, it should actually be more surprising if we are not persecuted for being Christians. Because when you think about it, the, the gospel threatens human pride. The gospel threatens human self-centeredness. If someone hears the gospel and they admit that uh, the gospel is true then what is the right response? The right response is to, is to give over your life to God, to give up your very self, to put your trust in Jesus and to start now living not for yourself but living for God. And it's the very nature of sin that we don't want to do that. Uh, it, it attacks, it assaults our self-centeredness. And so... We ought to be more surprised if people do not react negatively to that. It's a message which won't always be popular. And so because we embody that message, that means that we're not necessarily going to be popular as well. It's the nature of the gospel. But what Paul says here is that we ought to rejoice when we suffer because in verse 13 when we suffer rejection because of the gospel, he says two things. Firstly, that we are participating in the sufferings of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we somehow, by suffering, um, that we add, we improve on the sufferings of Christ, as if there was something inadequate. Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. We don't improve on the sufferings of Christ, but we are like a light which is shining into darkness. And as a result of that, we suffer for the very same reasons that the Lord Jesus Christ was rejected. Uh, the book of Acts um, is it's a great story, isn't it? It's a story of how the gospel just spread throughout the known world and people became Christians. It's also the story about how Christians were persecuted. Uh, in Acts chapter 16, um, Paul and Silas were imprisoned in Philippi. And what do you think that they did when they were thrown into prison? Well, they sung hymns of praise to God. <laughs> how about that? And the other prisoners are thinking what on earth is going on here they could everyone could hear them singing praises to God you know if you were thrown into prison for the sake of the gospel would you be praising God for that 
In Acts chapter 5, the apostles were arrested because they had been preaching the gospel. They were put on trial before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin didn't know what to do with them because they were popular and they didn't want to lose their popularity by punishing them too hard. But nevertheless, nevertheless, the Sanhedrin found them guilty of doing something. They, they whipped them. They, they flogged them. Now, that is not to be um, passed over. That is a significant punishment to be whipped. And then they released them with a command that they were to no longer preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, have a look at what uh, Acts uh, chapter 5 goes on to say in verse 41, that after they were released, and I quote, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Not because they had been released, they left the, the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the sake of the name. They had shared in the sufferings of Christ and they considered that to be a privilege to do so. I met a lady just recently who told me that she had been cut out of her grandmother's will because she became a Christian. Now, that'd be hard to swallow, don't you reckon? I mean, not just because of the money, but because it's your grandmother. Her grandmother cut her out of the inheritance because she had turned to Christ. Now, this lady, she could have recanted. She could have done whatever she could have to, to please her grandmother and got the money, but she chose to stand firm for Christ. She didn't uh, budge. She didn't flinch. And although that's not dreadful suffering, although I wouldn't want my grandmother to reject me like that, although it's not dreadful suffering, in so much that she did feel that rejection, she could rejoice because in the end she had been counted worthy to experience that for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the same for you and me. Uh, if we are mocked, if we are ridiculed because we stand firm for Christ, then I call that a badge of honour. And we should be grateful for that. We should rejoice in that. Remember what Jesus said, a servant is not above his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. It's a, it's a mark that we are identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Who do you want to be identified with? I want to be identified with Jesus, don't you? And we identify with Jesus when we, are suff when we suffer because of his name. But Peter goes on to say that we also rejoice because we can look forward to Christ's, to Christ's glory. He, he says there that, uh, uh, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. One of the churches in the book of Revelation is the church in a city called Smyrna. In the second century, so not long after the New Testament was written, the church in Smyrna was, had a leader by the name of Polycarp. 
As an old man, Polycarp was arrested because he refused to participate in Caesar worship. He refused to uh, burn incense to, to uh, Caesar and to deny Christ. So they arrested him. The uh, records show that the Roman proconsul gave him one last chance to reject Christ, uh, to worship Caesar, and be released. Now, that would be a temptation, would it not? To which uh, Polycarp replied, and I quote, 86 years I have served him, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And as they burnt him alive, Polycarp thanked God that he was judged worthy of suffering for the sake of Christ. And as he looked forward to sharing in the cup of Christ. Now, reflecting, I believe, what Peter says here in verse 13, that when we suffer for Christ... Uh, our faith is shown to be genuine so that we can look forward to his coming again knowing that when the glory of Jesus is revealed to all of humanity that we will share in that glory because we are united with Christ in his sufferings and in his resurrection. Now, this glory of Christ, though, is not just um, something which is, is our future. Uh, the glory of Christ is also a present blessing for us. Uh, we see this in verse 14. In verse 14, Peter says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, uh, what does it mean to be blessed? Well, I think it's, um, it's more than just to be happy, isn't it? Um, it certainly does involve happiness, but it's something more profound than just happiness. Uh, it's the kind of uh, experience where we can actually feel joy even through our pain and our tears. Um, ultimately, to be blessed is the, is the experience of the person who is is living for the very purpose for which they've been created, uh, which is profoundly satisfying to be in relationship with God, to, to know God and to enjoy him forever. Peter says that when we are insulted because of the name of Christ, that we are blessed. And we're blessed, he says, because the spirit of God, rather the spirit of glory and of God rests on us. Now, what does that mean? Jesus once promised his disciples that uh, when they were on trial, that the Spirit would, would give them the words to speak. But I think that what Peter is saying here is something different to that because it's not a, he's not talking about uh, the words being given to you. He's speaking about the glory resting upon us. So what does that mean? Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, the Apostle Paul says that because of we have God's Spirit, 
that we reflect God's glory. Uh, that is that, um, that when we have the Spirit of God, then people then we actually reflect back to people something of, of the, the glory and the image of God, that people can see God in us uh, when the Spirit of God uh, rests upon us. Uh, so that he says that we are transformed. We are transformed into the likeness of Jesus and we are transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. That is that we reflect, we become like Christ. We reflect the glory of Jesus. It's seen in and through us because the Spirit rests upon us. And I take it that what that means is that in this context is that when we stand firm for Christ, um, unflinching, and we do so in the face of opposition, that people see that there's something different about us. They can actually see God reflected in our behaviour and in our character. People can see that um, for us, Christianity is not a game that we play. That uh, this is actually serious business for us. That we genuinely do believe in God. That we genuinely do believe in Christ as his son. And that we're serious about that. And we're prepared to put our heads on the chopping block. We're prepared to put our lives on the line because we know that Christ has died for us and he's risen again. And if we're taking the gospel seriously like that in our lives, uh, being standing firm for Christ no matter the cost to us personally, then others are going to say, well, uh, there's something in this. There's something which I need to find out about. And that's when they're likely to ask us for the hope, the reason for the hope that we have. It's very different if we just buckle under uh, when, when the, the trials come our way, when it starts to be difficult to be a Christian. Sometimes, of course, our suffering can be self-inflicted. And we must not confuse that with persecution for our faith. Have a look at what Peter goes on to say in verse 15. He says, If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Now, why does he have to say that? <laughs> He's saying, look, and by the way, there's some pretty big things that he said there. I... I actually don't imagine that too many of the Christians who were receiving his letter were actively involved in murdering people, um, stealing from people and other forms of criminal activity. That might have been their past, but I'm not sure that there'd be too many people who would be actively engaged in that right now when they receive the letter. It's uh, probable that the reason why um, Peter has used such significant... Um, uh, behavioural problems, if I can put it that way, is because the, 
uh, the punishment for those kind of behaviours might have been similar to the punishment that some people were receiving just for being Christians. In other words, if you're going to be put on trial and if you're going to be uh, killed, make sure it's for the right reason. Make sure it's because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and not, be ac not because you actually deserve the punishment that you're being, that's being meted out. Uh, mind you, he also adds in there meddlers, doesn't he? And that would be a little bit closer to home for some of the Christians because we know that that does go on in churches a bit more frequently than murdering people. And so he's saying there, and I think the message to us is that uh, if people start treat, if people react to you negatively and poorly uh, because you actually deserve it, because you've been rude or you're dishonest or you're person who doesn't have a great character then what do you need to do well you need to fix up that issue in your life repent of that and what and certainly do not uh, do not dismiss that by saying well I'm just being persecuted because I'm a Christian <laughs> because you're not being persecuted for being a Christian you're persecuted because you've done the wrong thing make sense Okay, and Paul, Peter just thought that he needed to throw that one in. Um, so, however, he then goes on to say in verse 16 that uh, on the other hand, if you suffer for being a Christian, then praise God that you bear that name. Now, did you know that the word Christian only appears in the Bible three times? And this is one of those times. How about that? Uh, it wasn't a name that the church marketing department um, dreamed up. Uh, the, the name Christian was actually a nickname which was given by the non-Christians to these people. Uh, the word is Christianos. It means a follower of Christ. You know what that tells us? It tells us that the non-Christians could see that these people genuinely did follow Christ. How about that? That's a, that's a good thing, isn't it? I mean, we might be called Christians, but would people, would our non-Christian friends say that we are actually followers of Christ? It's a slightly different thing these days, isn't it? Uh, if, uh, if a non-Christian person or if someone who was really opposed to Christianity... Um, would they be able to uh, accuse you of being a follower of Christ? Would your life be so distinctive that they would pick up on that particular problem and accuse you of being a follower of Christ in a negative sense? So if you are um, accused of being a follower of Christ uh, quite negatively, if you're persecuted because of that, then Peter says you can praise God that you bear that name. Praise God for that. Now, suffering is generally painful, isn't it? I think that's why they call it suffering. Uh, it's easier to cope with pain if you know that it has some good purpose. I think one of the most painful things I've ever had to watch was my wife giving birth on two occasions. Painful for her, that is, not, not for me. And... 
you can get through... Look, I'm a man, I shouldn't be speaking about this, but <clears throat> you, you can get through the pain of childbirth because you know that there's some purpose in it, that there's a good outcome and it's not going to last for very long. Imagine if you had to go through that pain and you had no idea what, what was going on, you had no idea what the purpose of it was and you had no idea if it was ever going to end. That would be dreadful, wouldn't it? Um, Pain is easier to endure when we know that it has a purpose. The suffering that God allows us to endure has a purpose. And we see this in verse 17 where Peter then goes on to say that, uh, that it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. You see that? And he says that uh, if the judgment begins with us then what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God now why would God judge us why would he judge those who are his family the family of God well if you remember back to verse 12 right at the beginning where uh, Peter talks about the fiery trial that they were going through um, the word that Peter uses for fiery trial is the Greek word which is spelt P-U-R in our letters. P-U-R. And that's where it's, we get the word pyrotechnic from or pyromaniac from. It's also where we get the words pure and purify from because they're related, aren't they? Because precious metals are purified through fire. Through fire. And it's also what God allows us to go through. Because when we stand firm in Christ, when we stand firm suffering for Christ, then it's a fiery trial in the sense that the impurities of our lives are, are burnt away. And our faith is strengthened, our faith grows, and our faith is shown in its, true, in its true glory. It's shown for what it is. Uh, I don't think we can go past the example of Job in this respect, can we? Remember Job? Godly man, Satan said that he only loved God because God gave him all of this great land and livestock and wealth and happiness and so on. And so God allowed Job to be stripped of everything that he had. All his wealth, his family, his health was all gone. And yet, through unspeakable suffering, Job's faith was shown to be real. And in the end, he's able to say, these words, in Job 19, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I and no other, how my heart yearns within me, said Job. The author of the Hebrews tells us that 
when God allows us to suffer, we can be thankful for that because it's showing, it shows that he loves us, that God is treating us like his sons and daughters because he is disciplining us. And discipline has a purpose. Discipline has the purpose of helping us to grow uh, stronger as Christian men and women. Better that, says Peter. Better to be purified by God through the discipline of suffering. Better that than what will happen to those who in verse 17 who do not obey the gospel. What will become of them, says Peter? Well, we know what will become of them because in 2 Thessalonians 1, uh, Paul says that those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of his glory forever. Better to suffer the discipline of God and to stand firm in Christ than to suffer the alternative. As Polycarp was told to renounce Christ, remember back earlier in 1 Peter where Peter says to gird up the loins of your minds, to be um, self-controlled and alert and to be of sober mind? Um, Polycarp had a very sober mind because as he was... uh, Told to renounce Christ, uh, this is his response to the Roman proconsul. And I quote, he said, You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. That's pretty clear minded. Uh, you know, when you're about to be burnt to death, which they did. I reckon he'd maybe been reading 1 Peter. He certainly had heard the teaching of 1 Peter. We don't want anyone to experience the judgment of hell. But knowing the two end points helps us to be clear-minded. So that in verse 19, Peter is able to exhort us to therefore commit ourselves to our faithful creator he's your creator he made you he won't let you down and so commit yourself to him and continue to do good says peter we are to do good to all men including to those who oppose christ and who therefore impose oppose us as we live for christ My friend in 1979 was angry that I had now identified myself as being a Christian. And uh, I still remember how she got up and she stormed off in a huff. The next time I saw her was sometime later, but this time it was actually in a Christian building and the office of a Christian minister. You know, I was surprised when she stormed off in a huff. I was more surprised when I saw her uh, in the office of a Christian minister. But I shouldn't have been surprised because God is powerful and God 
had, been, had commenced a work of changing her heart. He had been getting under her skin, irritating her, annoying her, and her heart was changing. Now, I guess the last time I saw her would have been about 35 years ago. Uh, last week, here in church, I met a mutual friend. And we talked about her. And this friend told me how this, uh, this lady has powered on. How she's, for the last 35, 40 years, has been persevering in the gospel. And that she is, and has been for a long time, very much a leader of Christians. How about that? How about that indeed? Jesus once said, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. Because who knows what God will do in their lives. Just like he's done in ours. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we want to thank you for the gospel. We thank you that Jesus suffered for us, for our good, and ultimately for his glory and our glory, and your glory. Father, we pray as we live in Australia, which is, seems to be increasingly anti-Christian, uh, we pray that um, as we are sometimes uh, taunted or even scoffed at, that uh, we would not recoil, that we would stand firm, that we'd do so graciously and lovingly. We pray that uh, we would not be retaliatory, but rather that we would seek to good, do good to those who oppose you. Father, strengthen us, strengthen our feeble knees, we pray. Give us courage, uh, knowing that um, in doing so, that we are participating in the sufferings of Christ and that we look forward to sharing in his glory. We pray that through our um, godly witness that people would see Christ in us and that others would be snatched from the fire. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.